This is Pastor to Pastor, a podcast of InnoBTS and Level College. Pastor to Pastor is here to help you lay a biblical foundation for your ministry. Welcome back to our podcast, Pastor to Pastor. My name is Charlie Ray, and I'm here again with Adam Hughes. And Adam, we're actually wrapping up this semester. Uh, We are getting very close to final uh, exam week here, and so we're wrapping up our semester where we've been focusing on the question of what is preaching. And so we've looked at a number of passages and tried to establish a biblical definition of preaching, and so we're kind of closing the semester with some practical applications. And uh, finally, a few questions, uh, some from our listeners, uh, about how we apply our definition of preaching. And so uh, let's go ahead and jump into the, the first one, and, and one of the questions that we have to answer today is, how do we preach the Old Testament, right? And so um, what are some of the, the, the things that you might suggest to our listeners when we get to this question of, how, how does our definition of preaching affect our preaching of the Old Testament in particular? That's actually a really good question. It might seem like an obvious answer, at least that, you know, we should be doing it, but it is a good question. And I, and I think maybe there's a few things, I don't, I don't know exactly what was behind the specifics being asked here, but I think there's a few things that could be behind this. Number one, I think we do need to understand that the, the Old Testament is important. It is, it is no less important than the New Testament. In a lot of ways, it is foundational to what we understand in the New Testament. I I think I said this on an earlier podcast. I've heard someone say, like, if you were going to give an unbeliever just one book of the Bible, it wouldn't be Leviticus, it would be John's Gospel. And I understand what we mean when we say that, but yet I look at so much of the New Testament and I go, would we even make sense? Would we be able to make sense of what Christ has done? Would we be able to make sense of John's I am statements? Would we be able to make sense as Jesus is the greater high priest and the sacrifices that we read about in Hebrews and what all that looks like if we did not have the Old Testament and understand its importance? I think the other side of that is we do also understand that it is distinctively and uniquely, no less so than the New Testament is, it's, it's Christian scripture. It is indeed Christian scripture. It, it, is, it is what we consider to be authoritative for the church even today. So I, I know I'm kind of giving a running start, a kind of a lead into that, but I, I just wanted to say, I don't know if those questions are behind the question, but if they are, I think we start there, which leads me to my first principle for how do we preach the Old Testament? And I know this is going to sound like I'm being like facetious or I'm being sarcastic, and I'm not meaning to be either any of those things. But I think the first principle is, how do we preach the Old Testament? Charlie, we preach it. Yeah, We do it. Well, so we, we go back to our definition which of preaching, which is the explanation and application of God's Word. So we are saying that the Old Testament is part of that, obviously, right? And so, I mean, there is a strand in, in some churches today uh, that really argues against preaching the Old Testament. I would I would venture a guess probably most of our listeners don't fit into that camp. However, uh, I do wonder one of, one of the things that stood out to me in pastoral ministry is uh, just some misunderstandings that Christians tend to have because they haven't heard the Old Testament preached enough. Uh, there was one misunderstanding that I think uh, was was a little more common than I expected, which is this this kind of idea that in the Old Testament people were saved by works. But in the New Testament now, they're saved by faith. 
And so some of that, I think, just comes about because these Christians haven't heard that many, uh, just to use one example, they haven't heard a sermon series through Deuteronomy or something along those lines, or they probably wouldn't have had those views. So I think some misunderstandings about the Bible and about uh, the Christian life today come because, uh, yeah, we haven't preached the Old Testament enough. Absolutely. You know, I, I think about all these kind of funny jokes that happen, and maybe these happen more in the academy which maybe they should be left there. They happen in the academy more than they happen in the church between pastors, but in, within biblical studies departments and not just here at NOBTS, but there's kind of the joke of the New Testament or the Old Testament, pick one. And I remember when I was a student, one of my fellow classmates had just gotten out of an Old Testament class and he, he came to me and he said, you know, our, our professor today was saying a lot of people ask the question, why the Old Testament? Of course, this is an Old Testament professor saying this. He said, I have more of a tendency to ask, why the New Testament? Of course, my response is, I think both of those questions are kind of absurd. And the great thing is God doesn't make us choose one of the two. Mm-hmm. He's given us both as the completed canon, right? Which just in the fact that God has given us both, 66 total, 39 in the old, 27 in the new, and he's preserved this, is, is I think God's mark of saying both are important. You need to teach the church. The church needs to be discipled by the content of all of it, which includes the Old Testament. So again, just a, just a practical encouragement if you don't feel like you do it well, if, you, if you're afraid of it, if, if, if your people aren't familiar with it, all the more reason, just the first encouragement I would give, yeah, all those things can fall into place. You can get better at it. There's some things that you need to think through, but just make a commitment early in your ministry that you are going to consistent, consistently, regularly make the exposition of the Old Testament as much of your preaching ministry as you are the New Testament. That, that might look a couple of different ways practically. Um, some pastors I know alternate between Old Testament, New Testament as they preach through books. I mean, I'm not saying you have to do that necessarily, but I spent about, I'd probably say probably seven or eight months preaching through Deuteronomy at one point, which is pretty quick move through Deuteronomy. Absolutely. That's, you know, about a chapter a week, which is, which is kind of moving pretty fast. But again, I think to your point, a lot of misunderstandings of the New Testament are alleviated if we understand the Old Testament better. The Old Testament is the framework for rightly no understanding question. the New Testament. So, yeah. so, so the first admonition is just do it. Do so it. What else might you say about uh, preaching the Old Testament? And so maybe our listeners thought, well, that, that wasn't that helpful, Adam and Charlie. <laughs> well, hopefully the next two that we talk about here, a couple principles will be. Uh, number two, I think, yes, we do it, but we do have to do it with an understanding of we're doing so through the lens and understanding the lens of the New Covenant. And, and before any of my Old Testament brethren get upset with me, what I am not suggesting is we don't interpret it and understand it first in light of its original context. But what I am saying is there is a distance. Can I call it that? There is a distance between where those under the Old Covenant, where those that the Old Testament speaks of and speaks to were written to and where we are today. Mm-hmm. And a big difference is we are now not no longer pointing to the coming of the Messiah, but we are now on the other side of the coming of the Messiah. So listen, don't hear me say there's nothing valuable in the original context. There's not a word to the original hearers, and there aren't some things there that we need to mind. Absolutely. But what I am simply saying is, Charlie, one of the greatest, I think, principles that we need to understand when we just approach the interpretation of the Old Testament and, and start going from interpretation interpretation to application, we don't stand in the exact same position that Israel did before God Mm -hmm. when we start preaching it. And that has to be taken into consideration. 
Yeah, a couple of notes there. I, I use this. I probably said this on this podcast before, but an easy example is is you read the the laws related to sacrifice in the Old Testament. If you and I were to read those and say, "Well, what's the application of that?" and we were to go out and to, you know, kill a bull or something along those lines, well, obviously, we're doing it wrong, right? We're not reading the Old Testament in light of Hebrews and. Christ being the once-for-all sacrifice, uh, those sorts of things. So, I mean, that's an easy example of it, but there's probably other ways in which we need to be careful to say uh, we need to read the Old Testament in light of the New. One of the ways I think some some prosperity theology goes off the rails here is they take chapters like Deuteronomy 28, for example, which talk about both the blessings and curses. the curses that the people are going to exactly experience right. in the land. And of course, they tend to throw out the curses and they only do. focus on the blessings, Absolutely. but nevertheless, they read that as directly related to us today, where if we are obedient, we receive the blessings of Israel in the promised land. And so I would argue there, they're not reading the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. There is a promise of blessing, but for us, that that promise of blessing refers more to our promised land, which would be heaven or the new heavens and the new earth, and guaranteed promises of blessing. And I'll land. even take it a step further. I mean, I don't want to make it all about this. I don't want to sound like we're giving the Sunday school answer, but yes, yes, we are promised the blessing, but really our blessing is indeed Christ. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of ways, like I'm not trying to short side that, but that He is the blessing. Right. And then all of those things that come as an application of that. So that's exactly right. Yeah, I think you're making a really good point there about, I think about that a lot. You know, and a lot of times this is, you know, we we just nationalize. Mm -hmm. So Israel's a nation, America's a nation. And so what happens is everything God said, what was that? (laughs) Second Chronicles, right. Yeah, but I think that is a a prime place we do it, but I think we do it with a lot of places. And so there's, there's no understanding of distance in that America... I'm not trying to get political. Even if it were uh, uh, today uh, uh, operating as a Christian nation, we still can't place ourselves directly into the same position that Israel was. And I think the Deuteronomy 8 example is a perfect example of saying we can't just um, uh, automatically apply all the covenant blessings and all the covenant curses, which you're right, people don't want to do, directly to the United States. Mm But for that matter, even directly to the church the way we want to sometimes. Yeah. You know, I think there's another side of this to, too, though, Charlie, when I think about it, is a lot of the Old Testament, and I have to be careful how I say this because I think I've said it before and it could be really misconstrued. A lot of the Old Testament, because so much of it is a narrative and is in a narrative framework, is much more descriptive than it is prescriptive. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that, it's it's from a, an interpretation standpoint, it's not so much where a writer is saying to the audience, do this. God has commanded this as much as it is saying, here's how God acted amongst his people in these situations. Mm-hmm. Now, does that make it any less authoritative as the word of God? Well, of course it does it. It is still equally authoritative as the word of God, but we have to think through how do we apply that? Because just to turn around and say, God tells you here to do this or not do this. Well, he's not directly telling you here to do this or not do this. And so when I talk about that distance, another thing that we have to think about is, Yes, I think that even Paul in his correspondence to the Corinthians says, these things were given as your examples. And a lot of what he's talking about there is the negative example of Israel. So you don't do the same thing. So don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying there aren't any applications from looking and going, this is an example of good faith. This is an example of bad faith. But what we don't need to do is just take everything that was written in the Old Testament without considering anything at all from an interpretive standpoint and immediately start making applications. And it just turn into what I call moralizing or sermonizing. 
Well, and, and even when you go to the Old Testament law, I mean, you talked about narrative a little bit, but some would argue that all of the Old Testament law still applies to us today, but the question is how, how? right? And so that's where, again, we don't want to be too simplistic. We do want to read the Old Testament as Christians, right? As, as you know, understanding in a light of its fulfillment in Christ, even as Paul would say to the Corinthians, you know, all of God's promises are, are fulfilled in Christ. And so I, I think, yes, we want to we want to avoid misunderstanding the Old Testament by not reading it in light of the New Testament in some sense. Yeah. Absolutely. And so I, just to kind of review, what would I say to someone if they were sitting in front of me and they said, what, what about, how do I preach the Old Testament? I would say, do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would say, do it certainly in light of an understanding of, of the New Testament through the lens of the fact that Christ has come. And then I would give a third and final principle as well, Charlie. I would also say, but preach them as Christian scripture in their own light. Mm-hmm. I alluded to this a little bit at the beginning when I was talking about maybe some reasons we don't do it or what might be behind this question. And one of them was, do we think about the Old Testament as distinctively Christian scripture? Mm-hmm. And if you don't, if you're listening to this and, you're, and you don't, I would say you should and you should preach them that way. By the way, there's probably so many implications to this that we could talk about. But what I would say to begin with is, what about the apostles? What about Jesus? What about the New Testament writers and the early church? Did they see the Old Testament as, as distinctively Christian scripture? I mean, I think I think a, 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 an objective and honest look at the Bible and church history, we would have to say a resounding yes. Can I say, I'm not trying to say this, this is going to sound cliche-ish, and I don't mean it that way. The Old Testament, if I can say it this way, was their Bible, was their scripture. So certainly they're understanding it as uniquely Christian scripture. And so when we preach it, yes, we do it through the lens of the New Testament and the coming of Christ, but we also understand it in its own right is indeed profitable to the church as distinctively Christian scripture. Yeah, one of the questions here, and we, we've touched on you know this argument that all of God's promises are fulfilled in Christ, but one of the questions then becomes, Maybe I can say it this way, how much of the Old Testament is about Jesus? And you'll find some differences here in how people interpret the Old Testament. I think even of Luke 24 and Jesus you know, explaining right. uh, to these people on the road um, all the things in the Scriptures concerning him. But the question then is, how much of the Old Testament is that? And so I do think we have a, a tendency sometimes to uh, to, to, can I say it this way, to find Jesus all over the Old Testament in places A devil behind every not, bush, right. but this way in the positive. Jesus, you know, under every rock, so to speak. Right. And so I think, I think some of what we're saying is that there's a balance here. We do want to read the Old Testament in light of Christ, but we don't want to, uh, we, we also want to read it as, as, you know, God's word to us in its, in its own right. Yeah. yeah. And I think there's a couple things that I think of here, and I don't want to beleaguer this point, but where before I said, if, if we don't understand the Old Testament in some ways in light of the new, then everything just becomes, have a, a mentor of mine that said, moral, uh, moralistic therapeutic deism, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where it just becomes moralism, do this, don't do that, which is anti-gospel, so mm-hmm. we don't want to do it that way. But the, perhaps the challenge or the, the, over, the, the, the you know, overextending ourselves and falling in the ditch on the other side is when we do think of the Old Testament as distinctively Christian scripture. If you don't have a right process for doing that, and I think your question is how much of it is directly about Jesus, that's mm-hmm. the question, then what ends up happening there is you fall into the allegorizing ditch. Right. Now all of a sudden, David is Christ. Christ and Goliath is Satan or mm-hmm. something along those lines. And so certainly I'm not advocating for that. You, you got to hear me on that. And so 
maybe I'll say I'll leave, I'll leave it up to the individual pastor through good exegesis and reading people that are probably a whole lot smarter than me on this to determine which part of it is actually about Christ. But what I would say is I think instead of looking at every, I'm not arguing for looking at every single passage this way, but what I am arguing is holistically, yeah. we understand that holistically all of the Old Testament points to, is fulfilled in, finds its impetus in, if, you can, if I can say it that way, in some way uh, in Christ's yeah. coming and, and Christ being here. Does that make sense, what I'm yeah. trying to say there? So since you brought up the example of David and Goliath, this is kind of a, a common example, right? And so I think some people, um, I think the David and Goliath story can be misapplied in a couple of different ways, one of which is you read the David and Goliath story and you tell people, go out and you go slay your Goliaths and all this sort of stuff, and then it's just about, you know, your... your um, you know, you're just the mighty warrior who wins all the victories and things like that, right? And and it's all about you, and it's about self-exaltation and all this this sort of stuff. And I, and I think it's a misunderstanding of the David and Goliath story, but it's a misunderstanding of the David and Goliath story because that's not what the story teaches on its own exactly. face, right? David is very clear in that story. He comes at Goliath in the name of the Lord his God. So some people counter that and go go far in the other direction, and you alluded to this to say, well, you know, the David and Goliath story is ultimately about Jesus and, and, you know, slaying sin and defeating, you know, the devil and all these different sorts of things. And we look at that and, and really David was a person who trusted in God. And, and so does David point us towards Christ in some senses? Well, certainly he does. He's the king, you know, from, uh, from, from the line of, of David is, is which, where Jesus comes, Jesus comes from, right? from, all these different sorts of things. But at the same time, Hebrews 11 would teach us that these are people of faith. Right? And in so a sense, we, we are to look at, at how they trusted in God, and we're to trust God like they did. Absolutely. And so the Old Testament saints do function as models for us to say, look at how these men and women trusted God, and you go trust God in the same way. Absolutely. So I'll, ask, I'll add one other thought on here, and just to kind of drive it home, and I hope this makes sense. And then we need to go to the second question we have so that we make sure we have time here, Charlie. But the final thing that I would say is, why am I so adamant about even the Old Testament, it stands on its own as Christian Scripture? is because in some way, the re- way I preach the Old Testament should be distinct and different than a Jewish rabbi would. Right. If not, maybe maybe I, as a believer, am not really, and, and Jesus, I'm not really understanding the way God intends me to. Mm-hmm. So that's why this is so important. So just to reiterate, I, I do think it, it's a great question. We do have to reflect on how do we preach the Old Testament? Make a commitment to do it. Do so in light of, of who we are now as, as as those in Christ, and then finally understand that on their own, in their own right, yes, interpret in context, but understand they are distinctively Christian scripture, and that does say something to us as Christians. Well, and, and sorry, I know you're trying to move on, but even even we can argue based on what Jesus says to rightly understand the Old Testament is to understand it as Christian scripture. And Absolutely. This is, where, this is where a Jewish rabbi would say, well, you're crazy or something along those lines, but we are actually making the claim that we as Christians better understand the Old Testament Absolutely. Uh, because we see that it, it finds its fulfillment in Christ. So. Absolutely. I think that's a great way to kind of wrap up that question and move to the second question. And maybe in some ways as controversial, although not really preaching the Old Testament is, this one might be one that might raise the hair, uh, the, the hair on the back of, of people's neck necks here. Because as a, as a pastor that's been to seminary and knows some of these details, 
but yet standing up on a Sunday morning and how to how to address this issue without causing a mutiny or mass misunderstanding in the church. Maybe this one even goes a little bit further than preaching the Old Testament. And what I mean by this is preaching textual variants in the Bible. So Charlie, just kind of want to throw it out there to you and, and get your ideas about how should a pastor in the pulpit shepherding a flock when there are passages of Scripture, and not even small ones, but larger ones, the, the John 8, the end of Mark 16, how would you encourage, how would you inform our listeners as to how they should approach preaching these textual variants, which is a very real issue in the Bible? And as a being an expositor. Yeah, it's certainly going to come up. I mean, I've preached through both John and Mark. And so at some point, you're going to get to the end of Mark, and you're going to get to the middle of John, and you're going to have this issue that needs to be addressed because you have these passages that have, uh, if you were to look at, say, the, the CSB, uh, is going to have in brackets, uh, the earliest manuscripts do not include John 7:53 through 8:11, and then it's going to have that whole text printed in, in the New Testament in that spot, but it's going to include the whole thing in brackets. And so, yeah, I mean, if, if people are following along at that point, and you're preaching through John, you're either going to preach that passage or you're not going to preach that passage, you've got a choice to make. And so how do we answer this question? Well, again, we've been trying to say all these practical application questions go back to our definition. And so again, we said that we are explaining and applying God's Word, the Bible, right? So the question then becomes, is that part of Scripture or is it not part of Scripture? And this is a really complicated question in some ways, but if you take the example of John seven fifty three through eight eleven, this is uh, the story of the woman caught in adultery. So, for example, if you were to look at um, the, the textual evidence for for that story being in John's gospel or not being in John's gospel, basically, uh, most scholars don't have any doubt that it is very likely not original to John's gospel. In other words, it was added in uh, at a later point. Uh, lots and lots of our earliest manuscripts and church fathers and things like that don't include this story. Even if you look at the textual evidence, some, when they do include it, uh, they even put kind of um, asterisks there, I guess, if you could say it that way, to indicate that maybe it's not original. Um, even beyond that, it's actually included in some other places uh, in our New Testament. Uh, some manuscripts actually have it after in Luke. Uh, some have it at the end of the Gospel of John. And so even when it is included um, in, in, in these manuscripts, it's not always included in the same place. So long story short, it seems very unlikely that it was originally part of the Gospel of John. So the question then becomes, do we preach it? Now, you'll see a lot of people who comment on this, they'll say, well, even if it's not originally a part of the Gospel of John, it's still probably a, a very old story and maybe something that really happened in the life of Jesus. And so I'll tell you where I come down on this. And, and, and interesting and can, enough, sorry to interject here, no, but no. that is interesting, and people do say that. But when I when we're talking about the issue that we're talking about here in light of the, our definition of preaching, preaching, what they're saying there is not really the question. Correct. The question is, it, it, is it an old story? Right. The question isn't even, is it true? Because, because bear with me on this, I think there's a lot of things that we say in history or even other uh, books that were written that we're saying there, there's some true things to that, but that's not really what we're talking about Correct. here. So I'm sorry to interject, no, no, but no. I think that is an important distinction to yep. make no, that, as we're talking about Scripture. Right, and that's where I was going because back to our definition, we're preaching God's Word. So take, for example, and this I don't want to get it into absurdity here, but take something like the Gospel of Thomas, for example, which 
is likely not very historical, but let's just say it had some historical information in there. Well, I'm not going to then make the argument, I preached the part of the Gospel of Thomas that I think really happened right. in the life of Jesus, right? We're not saying we preach things that happened in the life of Jesus. We are actually saying we preach Scripture, right? We preach God's revealed Word, uh, not just old stories, right? right. And, and so Absolutely. I think, I think your distinction that you're getting at there is very important. So for me personally, when I preach through the Gospel of John, I would actually not preach from this story because it seems to me that in the New Testament, at least, by and large, we're canonizing books, right? Not chapters of books or parts of books, but we're canonizing books. And since this is not likely, uh, even as you look at the canonization process, why certain books were considered canonical was in part at least tied to having an apostolic connection in the author. Not, not that all the books were written by apostles, but at least they had some connection to an apostle. So even the Gospel of Mark, which was not written by an apostle, is connected to the apostle Peter. And so for this reason, when I'm preaching through the, the Gospel of John, I would not preach through this, though I, I have friends who would disagree with me on this and, and, and preach it as, as a, what they consider to be an authentic tradition. So I think if I could respond here just in a couple ways, I, I think your argument, it's, it comes down to a simple answer. If we believe we're actually preaching God's revealed word, we're preaching scripture, we're preaching the Bible, then the, the answer to the question becomes fairly easy. Mm-hmm. No, we, we, as expositors, as those that believe in God's word the way we do, no, we won't preach it. And so I, I, think, I think perhaps that's the easy part. The difficult part is, is related to two questions that I just want to bring up briefly. Some would be out there that might, they might would say, well, then what does this do to the trustworthiness, the reliability yeah. of God's word that we have or, or our people have? Matter of fact, correct me if I'm wrong, but I honestly think it's been a while, but perhaps the, the King James Version might not indicate some of these things yeah, like yeah. we're talking about. So if you have some people that still have a King James Version, you know, this might raise some questions. But I, I'll, I'll just answer it this way and then you can, you can respond. And then I think there's a second question that we have to ask as well. And... and um, I would just say it like this. What does it do to the reliability of God's Word? If we know and understand textual variants as it relates to the, the Bible, let's just talk about the New Testament for a moment, and all the textual variants that are out there and all the different codices and manuscripts and all that that we have, what's fascinating, if you talked about any other document in history that was handwritten before there was printing press over and over and over and over again and handed down, and perhaps the oldest one we have is... 200, 200, 300 years away from when it was originally written, how reliable do you think those manuscripts would be? And I think most of the world would say, and those other, if it's not the Bible, it's not the Word of God, would say, well, the, the reliability begins to wane a little bit. Mm-hmm. The amazing thing for us, I, I mean, you look at like Bruce Metzger's, uh, his, his commentary on the textual variants of the, of the New Testament, you know, it's not a very thick book, mm-hmm. you know, and what I mean by that, yeah, there's a lot of textual variants, but most of them, we are pretty certain the amazing thing is most of them are in the certain or almost certain category to where we actually know with, within reasonable certainty what the original documents, the original manuscripts were. Mm-hmm. And so what I would say is in a lot of ways when we deal with something like this, it actually doesn't tear down the reliability of God's Word. If you understand what's going on, I actually think, Charlie, it actually, if we present it, if we understand it right ourselves and present it the right way, it actually raises the reliability of God's Word. Yeah, so if we go back to the role of a pastor, role of a shepherd, right, as we're preaching through these Gospels, I think you're bringing up a good point that we don't want to just say, hey, (laughs) 
this part of your Bible needs to be cut out because to your point, if they, if they've been you know reading the King James for years, the King James includes this in its text. Um, and, and has no notes because it's a part of the the Byzantine text. That's I mean, there's way more down the road we could go on textual criticism here. But nevertheless, uh, the King James is not going to have any notes in there about this not being original. It's a part of the text of the King James. So we need to handle this in a pastoral way, I think, where we don't want people to uh, to be discouraged or to question the reliability of the New Testament. And, and I think to your point, one of the things that people don't realize is yeah, the amount of evidence we have for the New Testaments and the manuscripts, I mean, it's in the five to 6,000 manuscript, Greek manuscripts. That's not including, you know, other languages and quotations from church fathers and all these different sorts of things. So a lot of books from that era, <laughs> we're dealing with five, 10, you know, 15 manuscripts, something along those lines. Well, with the New Testament, we're dealing with thousands upon thousands, many of them going back you know, very early. Um, some of the papyrus manuscripts, you know, even into the hundreds and two hundreds, you know, sort of in that kind of time frame. So the evidence that we have for the New Testament is massive. Now, with that does come a number of textual variants. Uh, to your point, the vast majority of them are essentially what we would call spelling errors right. that have very little to no discernible impact on the text. Some people don't realize that spelling wasn't really standardized until relatively recently. If you go back and read uh, a lot of even English documents from hundreds of years ago, the the words will be spelled in all kind of different ways. And so uh, anyway, we do want to preach it in such a way as that we affirm people's trust in God's Word instead of causing them to doubt. Now, with that being said, um, if they're paying attention, they can find people out there, I mean, a name like Bart Ehrman, who's popularized a lot of books right. from a very skeptical perspective, saying, you know, we can't have confidence in God's Word. We need to be prepared to say, no, we actually can, um, and here's why. Absolutely. So the, this, you really led in well, and I know we need to wrap up today, but you really re- led in well to the second thing I was going to say. So the first question is, well, what about the reliability of, of, of Scripture? So the question that I was going to get into is it's not really if, if we believe in our definition of preaching the way we do, should we do it? The answer is no. But the question then really becomes how do we do it? How do we do it in such a way, remember, where we're pastoring our people, where we're shepherding our people? And there's a couple things that I would say to that. And then if you have anything else to add, please do, or, or, or maybe you disagree with this. Number one is I think what this means is this involves more than just our work in the pulpit. Mm -hmm. What I mean by this, if we're going to teach our people this, it's going to have to be more than us just saying, well, this shouldn't be in there originally moving on, so let's go to the next text. Yeah, we might do that on a Sunday morning in some shape, form, or fashion, but we're also going to have to be teaching our people outside the pulpit and not just relying on that one moment in the Mm -hmm. pulpit. The second thing I would say, I always say this, and I hope this makes sense. To your point about the the smaller variants, where just maybe spelling or one word's there or not, that for all intents and purposes does not change the interpretation of our passage at all. I always say the other thing is, and this is not me denying everything you've said, but as the pastor, I always wanted to be cautious about either the way I did or making sure I'm not raising questions that they don't have or that don't need to be answered. And so I think those are some principles as we think about not doing this, that we need to think about how do we do it. Well, I think just from a practical perspective, the number of times in my preaching when when I've dealt with a textual variant is very, very, very very small. small. I mean, sometimes you just can't not do it. You know, preaching through Mark and you come to the ending and you stop at 8 or you stop at 20. I mean, you you can't not address that. Right. But, yeah, I mean, the vast majority of time, 
I think these are going to be things we don't even have to bring up. We, we were talking earlier today about an example in Acts about whether or not there's this call to repent and believe or not. Um, Acts 8. And, yeah, and yeah. Those, those kind of examples, I mean, I mean, the theology is there one way or the other, right? And, and so I think in many, many examples, I think you're, you're wise to say don't raise questions our people aren't answering. I mean, the other thing that I would say is that I do think we have some liberty here. So, I mean, I have good friends who disagree with me on this, and their argument would be maybe it would go something like this, that it is a part of Scripture because by the time the Gospel of John was canonized, it was already part of the text of John. That, that might be one argument that somebody would make for preaching that passage of Scripture. So even though I would disagree with them, you know, I, I want to be charitable in that as well and not, not make a fight over something that we don't need to be fighting about as Christians. So. Well, good deal. Well, Charlie, as I wrap up our podcast today, and maybe even sadly, although maybe to some of our our listeners, they're excited about this, to wrap (laughs) up our podcast for the semester, I have two things I want to thank you for. Uh, Number one, thank you for leading us through this discussion of how do we handle textual variants. It was was actually helpful for me to sit here and dialogue and think through this a little bit, and I pray, as always, it was helpful to our listener. The second thing that I want to thank you for is thank you for organizing this podcast in such a way to where I got the easier question today, Uh, (laughs) preaching the Old Testament, not preaching textual variants. Well, I've certainly enjoyed it, and I appreciate your time as well. And I hope this 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 semester has been beneficial to our listeners. We think that that preaching is tremendously important, and it really matters in the life of the church from church revitalization. So I've certainly enjoyed our conversations, and hope uh, that they've been a benefit to our listeners. Absolutely. Well, again, to our listeners, thank you so much for joining us today and joining us this semester. As always, we pray that it was a blessing to you, and we pray that you have a great rest of your day and a wonderful rest of your week. And we look forward to being back with you again in the future. God bless. Thanks for listening. For more resources on pastoral ministry, visit us at faithfulpastor.com. And to learn more about training to become a pastor, visit us at nobts.edu.